1: We're off this week, so enjoy this rerun of one of our favorite episodes and come check us out live. We're doing live musical readings based on our book. We'll be in New York on January 10th, Los Angeles on January 17th, Seattle on January 21st, and Berkeley on January 23rd. You can see all details at switchtimepop.com slash events.
2: Welcome to Switched on Pop. I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. And I'm musicologist Nate Sloan. Okay, so this week I've been listening to Chance the Rapper's new album, The Big Day, and it's made me deeply question everything I thought I knew about genre. Cool. <laughs> so check this out. Yeah. Here's his top charting song right now, Hot Shower.
3: Hot damn hot water, hot shower. Hot land smoking green cauliflower. Tangerine call it sweet and sour and my lawyer surgeon
1: I'm call out a- wait you said this is a top charting song
2: yeah it's on the, it's on the billboard and it's both on the hot 100 and on the r b and hip-hop chart
1: this is a fun track I mean it takes me back to like early hip-hop in his delivery, but then there's this trap element here with those rattling hi-hats. I'm into this. I'm glad this is doing well.
2: Okay, but then get this. Just a few songs later, you get something like, I Got You, Always and Forever.
1: I love this too, but it's like completely different or it's old school, but in a new Jack swing kind of way, like early nineties R&B or something.
2: Exactly. And so this has got me thinking, yeah. what kind of music is this album? Chance obviously calls himself a rapper, mm-hmm. but I also love when his flow merges into song, right? Yeah. Like there's, yeah, yeah. he has a really great sing songy voice as well. And his music clearly blends between gospel, hip hop, funk, There's even some disco on this album. Hell yeah, there is. And obviously R&B. And I thought maybe we could consult the Billboard to see where these songs were charting. And maybe that would help us understand how other people are perceiving the genre in Chance's record. Okay. So the album is number two on the Billboard 200. And three of the songs... Are actually, on the Hot 100, which is the like the you know, mega chart tracking the hot singles, and four of the songs, "Handsome," "Do You Remember," mm. "All Day Long," and "Hot Shower," are all charting on the Billboard R and B slash Hip Hop Hot Songs charts.
1: Okay. Sometimes on this show we talk about the Billboard charts. That could mean a lot of different things.
2: Yes, but specifically, this is one of the top charts. Like, if you go to billboard.com and you look at the top charts. Yeah. One of them is the R and B slash hip hop hot charts. Okay. Now Billboard does break out rap and R and B as subcategories, huh? But it's the combined chart which is predominantly featured, and it also confirms my confusion about Chance's music. It literally bridges categories within a combined category.
1: Okay. Yeah. Ooh. This is my brain is starting to hurt.
2: <laughs> Instigated by Chance's the big day. I found myself questioning what does R&B specifically even mean today? Where does it divide from hip hop and does it have a sound? Is it its own genre? Yeah. But before we can go there, I needed to catch myself up on how this term has changed over the years. Okay, cool. So R&B has a complicated history that we're not going to be able to cover exhaustively Mm -hmm. in one episode. It's been intertwined with the complexities of American race and identity since its birth in the dawn of the civil rights era. Yeah, What I want to focus on today was simply how the billboard has changed the label and methodology of counting R&B over the years to see how it may have led to my confusion. And we'll see that it's changed a lot decade by decade.
1: Interesting. So the title of the Billboard R&B Charts hasn't necessarily changed, but what R&B represents has.
2: Don't get ahead of me. (laughs) Okay, okay. Now, I had known that originally in the late 40s, R&B was originally known as the Harlem Hip Parade. That's what it was called on the Billboard. And then it was changed to Race Records before Billboard updated the title to Rhythm and Blues. Hmm. But what I didn't know is where it went from there. So I got on the phone with Billboard to help understand how this term has evolved. Hi,
3: I'm Trevor Anderson. I am the R&B and hip-hop chart manager here at Billboard.
2: Throughout the 1940s and 1950s, Billboard toyed with different chart titles before finally harmonizing around a single name.
3: There had been rhythm and blues kind of isolated before, but it really solidified down to R&B for the longest time in about 1956.
2: One of the best artists to give us a taste of the R&B sound of the mid and late 50s, I think, is Sam Cooke. His song, You Send Me, spent six weeks at number one in
0: 1957. Darling, you send me I know you send me Darling, you send me Honest you do Honest you do Honest you do
1: Mm, man, that track holds up very oh, well. So well. Zooming to the '50s, the R&B sound seems defined by you know acoustic instruments, soulful gospel-inflected vocals. I think you'll hear not maybe with this song in particular, but a lot of uh, song forms derived from the 12-bar blues form. This is also the seeds of rock and roll, which is developing kind of concurrently so yeah very specific sound in the 1950s for r b
2: this slow tempo blues inspired in what i would say romantic vocal mm-hmm. became the sound of r b but while this became a prominent sound of the era r b as a genre actually didn't last on the billboard in fact from 1963 to 1965 the Billboard stopped reporting the R&B charts because pop music and R&B basically fused and were synonymous with each other. Ah. And specifically, a lot of white artists started to mimic the sound.
3: That's
2: Elvis's Crying in the Chapel from 1965. It was the number nine song of the year. Yeah.
1: So this is a track from that period when the pop and R&B charts were sort of merged. There was no differentiation between them. Yeah, And right. Yeah, okay, so that's interesting because it's it, it does feel like it's borrowing elements from both styles. If you go back to Sam Cooke.
0: Whoa, you thrill me. I know you, you, you Peace of mind.
1: Take your troubles to the chair. We still have like rhythmically that six eight dot du feel. We still have those acoustic instruments, a kind of soulful vocal. But then there's also these elements that seem more drawn from pop. Like it's got this it's it's kind of a little square, it's not as swung, the vocals like land in all the right places mm-hmm. a little bit more. Maybe it's playing it safe in some ways.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, this is just one of countless examples throughout history of pop music subsuming black culture. And chart theorists speculate that Billboard adjusted their R&B methodology as a corrective to specifically highlight music created by Black artists and listened to by Black audiences. They did this by counting R&B-specific radio formats and Black-owned retailers as a part of the charts. And they made this adjustment in 1965, and R&B was reintroduced by the Billboard as the hot rhythm and blues singles. (laughs) However the sound of black music changed, and the label didn't fit for long. Here's Trevor again.
3: It was that until about the late 1960s, uh, then the term soul took over from R&B, and so um, the main Billboard chart that today reflects R&B and hip-hop at that time became the soul
2: singles chart. The Billboard category, which had once been driven by blues music and then the romantic sounds of artists like Sam Cooke, then becomes the soul charts to broaden the kind of music that can end up in that category right including funk hits like the 1969 song i can't get next to you by the temptations
1: oh god i love the temptations also remember when vocal groups actually used to sound different yeah as in like each you could like recognize each member and you know and the temptations we've got at this point i think lead singer dennis edwards with that rough gravelly lead voice melvin franklin was holding down the low end you have eddie kendricks taking that high falsetto and then, of course, Otis Williams and Paul Williams kind of bringing in those, like, subtle tenor tones in the background. Sorry, what were we talking about?
2: <laughs> I just love there also the introduction of the funk guitar, an entirely mm. new way of playing the guitar, like, basically a drum. It's, totally. It's acting yeah. as this real rhythm instrument.
1: So this would have, so it's just to check in, this yes. would have appeared on the soul charts in That's 1969. Right.
2: Yeah, and soul records ruled the 70s. Yeah. But again, the sound of black music constantly evolving throughout the decade sort of unsettles this category. Trevor said that by the end of the decade, it was felt that the term soul did not reflect what black America was listening to.
3: Yeah, in 1982, there's a decision... And it becomes, it goes from soul singles to black singles. The terms R&B and soul, they, they really didn't accurately, totally capture the kind of music that African-Americans in particular were listening to and buying. You know, really it became a mix of disco and pop and rock and, and, and gospel and jazz. Um, I mean, it really was just the music that black Americans were consuming and taking part in.
2: I feel like M Two May's "Juicy Fruit," recorded in 1982 and released in 83, really highlights some of these musical changes.
0: Mm. That is not
2: the Temptations. Whoa! Did the
1: temperature of this room just increased by 10 um, it's a bit toasty i mean I, I love listening to this on one hand it feels very new as you said we've yeah. got programmed drums we have that funk guitar become even a little sharper and and harder we've got like s- sounds like synthesizers are yeah. in are in the mix too and yet there's also i i i might say there is some continuity going all the way back to sam cook yeah. even at this point we've those, slowed down those vote, yeah and those vocals yeah. are so like tender and romantic interesting okay
2: and this song is for me you know it's it's definitely a far cry from the earliest sort of blues era race records and it sounds certainly different than the soul records that yeah. are happening in the 70s the track also foreshadows a significant shift in genre we know the notorious Big, of course, uses this song as the main sample for his hit Juicy in the 90s.
4: It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine, and Pepper and Heavy D up in the limousine. hanging pictures on my wall. Every Saturday rap Mr. Magic Molly Mall. I let my
2: t- the 90s were a period of critical change in the Billboard's methodology. Just as music is changing, so is the way that they're counting it, which once again Affects the sound and the categorization of R and B, which Trevor attributes to changes in technology.
3: The you know, music comes in and sound scan, and these technologies are better able to accurately identify from a range of genres the specific types of radio airplay that are coming through. So there's a lot more diversity in radio stations and types of radio stations. So for people who like. You know, instead of listening to sort of a one black station, now there's a lane for a gospel station. Now there's a lane for an adult R&B station. Now there's a lane for a jazz station. So with that, you know, those genres are able to get their own charts on Billboard in a way that they really hadn't had before. And so as part of that, then R&B sort of became once again that predominant genre for that experience. And so there wasn't really a need to categorize and lump them all together as black singles anymore. It could go back to being R&B.
2: From the 60s through the 80s, the terms R&B, then soul, mm. then black singles were right. used as umbrella categories to communicate what black artists were making and black audiences were listening to. But then in the 1990s, closer tracking of listening behavior results in a breakup of these umbrella categories, fracturing into smaller subgenres. Once again, R&B gets its own chart and the genre performs remarkably well. <laughs>
3: And the 90s in particular, you know, I think people think of that really as one of the great R&B heydays, just because if you look on the Hot 100, for example, which, you know, is considered the main pop chart, a lot of R&B records are taking over the airwaves at that time. So, you know, this distillation gets back down in the 90s in particular to specific R&B.
2: So it seems R&B had started as a genre, opens up to be inclusive of all kinds of music, yeah. and is now sort of... Isolating again huh. into a specific genre. This is the era of Tony Braxton,
0: right?
2: Janet Jackson, uh huh, and Boys to Men,
1: definitely. Oof. damn. Those (laughs) harmonies are on point. (laughs) Also, props to that song. I don't know if I've clocked this before. You know, the first time he says, I'll make love to you like you want me to. But then the second time he says, I'll make love to you when you want me to. (laughs) And it's like, okay, I like that second version. Mm. There's a little more consent (laughs) (laughs) implied.
2: As Trevor says there seems to be more genre coherence and a specific R&B sound. Okay,
1: so now this is so f- interesting cuz I'm like listening to these songs through this historical, you know, R&B continuum now. And the 90s as representing sort of this second renaissance, I guess, yeah. of R&B it really makes sense to me once again if we take Sam Cooke as like the, you know, the origin point to trace all this back to in some ways, I mean, whether that's accurate or not. I see a lot of commonality between this and a track like You Send Me. You, you,
0: you, you, me. Honest, you do.
1: Again, it's got this slow tempo. It's got these soaring romantic vocals with a lot of ad libbing and space for improv. It's got kind of lush chords, acoustic instruments, some at least. I mean, we've come a long way and yet maybe haven't gone far at all.
2: You know, as much as we're coming back to a sound in a sort of cohering genre, yeah. and as much as this is the era, the heyday for R&B artists, uh-huh. it's also the period that hip-hop starts to cross over.
3: Yes. Born Hill, for example, comes along and she really kind of changes the game because You know, Miseducation of Lauryn Hill, if you listen to that album, it's got a mix of rap, and it's got a mix of R&B, it's got a mix of old school influences, Lauryn performs, she both raps and sings. You know, that kind of forces really the industry, and and Billboard is part of that, to reevaluate, it encapsulates what she's doing as both an R&B artist, you know, someone who's actually singing and performing that way, but also as a hip-hop artist because she has um, just that, that sound and that flavor and that culture, so... That's what makes that change happen to to make it R&B slash hip-hop where it is today.
0: In 1989,
2: the R&B and hip-hop charts merged to catch up to where the music and the audience is at. We can hear this crossover between hip-hop and R&B, in song like Diddy and Faith Evans I'll be missing you
0: imagine all the pain I feel half a I know you still living your life after death.
2: And Nellie and Kelly Rowland's Dilemma
0: Tell me mom what's it gonna be she said You don't know what you mean to me But
2: at this point the lines of genre have been pretty thoroughly blurred audiences are now listening to all kinds of genres and the genres are influencing each other which is no surprise given that we're now in the era of digital downloads and more ubiquitous music consumption Mm. but it's not just listener behavior driving these crossovers Mm. it's also the charts remember when in 1965 billboard changed its rules to specifically highlight music being created by black artists and listened to by a black audience yeah how could i forget Well, according to Trevor, that all changed in 2012 when Billboard harmonized its methods Uh to account for streaming across all of its charts.
3: Now in 2012, the the change is made to directly reflect the Hot 100, so that also includes any of the pop audience airplay that that comes across many songs that have crossover appeal because before, that crossover appeal wasn't reflected on the R&B hip hop chart. So now that it mirrors the Hot 100, it opens up that pop radio play and all those retail sales um, from iTunes or any retailer at that point. So we're now reflect the Hot 100. And even today still, if you go down the Hot 100 and you go down the Hot R&B Hip Hop Songs chart, uh, you'll see that the order that the songs appear on Hot 100 is the same order that they appear on the Hot R&B Hip Hop Songs chart or the Hot Rap Songs chart or the Hot R&B Songs chart.
2: So just to clarify, yeah. Billboard used to have different methodologies of counting for each of its different charts, and then in 2012 decides to standardize to the Hot 100 method because, you know frankly, listener behavior has changed. Streaming is really the main way of, of right. listening. In-store purchases, less important, and, and, and radio and all of it's in there, but they have one method now. Huh. And even though there are subcategories for rap and R&B, they're really just subsets of the Hot 100 method, which is to say that all the charts are counted in the same methodology now. This new methodology has put Billboard in the difficult position of designating what falls in what genre, which has created no shortage of controversy.
1: I can imagine.
2: Right? It's, sometimes you don't want to be the person that has to, uh, to pick and choose. Yeah.
1: Or ever. But go ahead. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> We previously covered the country, hip-hop, Old Town Road debacle, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not the only one. Billboard previously got in hot water in 2014 when Uptown Funk, an obviously funk song, <laughs> was not given the r and designation. They instead called it a pop hit huh. that crossed over to r and radio. And there have been other unintended consequences of this new methodology as well, especially right. in terms of representation. Unfortunately, we're seeing some of the same dynamics of the early 1960s with some homogenization happening within the charts. According to Chris Malanfi at Slate, in 2013, 44 out of 52 weeks, the hot R&B hip-hop chart, historically black chart, was topped by white artists, mostly Macklemore and Ryan Lewis and Robin Thicke.
1: Interesting.
2: So on one hand, I think Billboard has, over the years, responded to changes in R&B music. But it's also how to force in shaping the sound by choosing what those categories are right. or now selecting what genre a song fits in, mm. which I would argue has contributed to some audience confusion, especially on my part. Yeah. Nonetheless, for a lot of listeners, as well as artists, r and is still an essential label separate from the combined r hip hop chart. Right. So I thought it would be important that we talk with someone who could speak on the subject with authority someone who Rolling Stone called one of today's most important R&B producers. My name is Oak Felder. I'm 6'5", and I'm very friendly. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. That is all true. Oak is a bit of a super producer and has worked with pop acts like Britney Spears, Alessia Cara, and Demi Lovato. But more importantly, he's really sculpted the sound of many R&B records for artists like Usher, Tony Braxton, Miguel, and Kehlani. Yeah. When we return we'll join Oak in his studio so I can finally get a handle on the sound of r and today. Excellent.
0: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel... It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
2: How should we conceptualize the broad category of R&B in 2019? R&B, I think, exists
4: in two different forms right now. R&B exists as a genre, and R&B also exists as an influence. And I think that there's a difference. As an influence, there are... Certain things that are brought to other styles of music that have, you know, traditionally been a part of the R&B genre. And that gets sort of influxed into what's happening with rap music or what's happening with pop music and all these other things. R&B as a genre right now, however, to me is a very specific of what it is. It's not all exactly the same, but it is sort of a new thing. From a genre standpoint, it feels very different than at any other point in history. It's sort of this amalgamation of borrowed concepts from the past, like from the 60s, and these sort of rhythmic concepts from today, the newer sort of contemporary rhythmic concepts, and it kind of fused. That's what the modern genre of R&B is right now. As it relates to R&B being an influence, it's literally all the greatest hits of R&B over the last 70 years or 60 years have all been kind of thrown
2: into every genre of music. So... That's how I would define it. (laughs) What are some of the essential musical components that people are hearing when we associate R&B and contemporary music?
4: The first thing that comes to mind is chord selection. R&B chords have a lot of character to them. Like you're never gonna play a straight C major, or C minor. Like you're not playing a three-finger chord in R&B unless you do it on accident. Like it, it's <laughs> it's always gonna be something with like a lot, like an extra added this with a A flat on top and a you know a minor seventh. Like it's gonna be really, really so that. I think the relationship of the melody to the chord. My perception of pop music is that it's a very straightforward chord progression that doesn't move a whole lot, and then you have a melody that's very dynamic. R&B is the opposite. You have a melody that's sort of very sort of straightforward and almost rhythmic, and a chord progression that's very dynamic, so that you create the tension in the same way, except in pop one thing is moving and in R&B the other thing is moving. The other thing that I would identify R&B with is sonic selection. If I pull up a a whirly, like an old-school whirly, and put a reverb and a filter on it, and start playing some cool chords, that's going to be an R&B track. You know, especially if I pull up some hard-ass drums. Firstly, chords. Secondly, sound selection, I think. I pay a lot of attention to the nuance of genre, and I'm seeing R&B transition from being trap-oriented to just being R&B. I can go back to 2015 and pull up three, four productions, including ones that I did. One example is Distraction by Kehlani. There's 808 in that record. There's trap hats in that record. There's like these cool, like bendy synths in that record. And that sort of gets its influences from trap music because trap, you know, at that point was starting to explode and it's still big today. But R&B, at this point, is starting to sort of leave all that to the side. And so today, you know, I'll pull up some cool chords. My drums will still be hard. They won't necessarily be trap drums which is a different thing. They might keep the trap patterns and we might stay in that same tempo. You know, I might set my daughter 147 beats per minute and play everything at halftime, but I'm not using an 808 kick and an 808 snare anymore. And if I'm using an 808 hi-hat, I'm pitching it down. You know what I mean? I'm kind of making it feel a little bit more lo-fi. And that I think is what is starting to define R&B right now is not what it is exactly, but what it's not. And it's not trap, so let's take that out of it. And it's not old school R&B, so let's get rid of all that
2: shit too. Like, just let's distill it to what it is. To sort of help our listeners think about that, I wanted to play for them Kalani's Distraction, which you produced. Oh. In the bridge it feels like you're playing to a very particular 90s r&b sound what's evoking that how is how is that brought to life <laughs> okay
4: so there's a story behind that so the singer from SWV, the lead singer of SWV, is a girl named coco and i think she's from she's from somewhere up east <laughs> like i'm not exactly sure where yeah. my guess my guess would be like dc new york area potentially but for whatever reason, there are people in that area that say you in a very specific way. And she has a very distinctive word of singing the word you. She tends to like put the vowel at the back of her throat. So it's like you, like it's very, and the vibrato is very fast. Like Co- Coco's like you is it's just the way she pronounces it. And so if you listen to all the 90s like SWV records, whenever she says that word, she sounds like that. Here's the funny thing, SWV sort of helped shape R&B and how it sounded in the 90s. So a lot of other singers started picking up that enunciation on that word and on that vowel. So 90s R&B, when you listen to it, a lot of other singers are singing it and pronouncing it the same way.
0: Somebody's been getting next to you. Tonight, baby, I wanna get Oh, yeah. Let
4: me So, this is a conversation that Kaylani has. She pays a lot of attention to that kind of shit, too. So, I was sitting there having a conversation about that. And she's like, we should just do a pre chorus where. I'm saying you in that way. So when you listen to the preachers, I need you. So then that sort of inspired us to make that pre-chorus feel like it could have been an SWV pre-chorus. So even the backgrounds of that song are modeled after there's a song called um, I Get So Weak In The Knees. There's a background arrangement in that record that doesn't really follow the lyric of the lead. It sort of supports it with extra lyrics. So we did that in the pre-chorus for uh, Distraction. And that sort of inspired me to make that whole thing feel like an homage to the 90s. That's where that sonic came from. The bridge is an extension of that. The sound selection is the, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's an old school DX7. And so you're getting like this really belly sort of cool tone happening. And it's a very baby face 1990s thing. You
2: know what I'm saying? So
4: shout out to Brian Alexander Morgan, by the way. He's the producer of a lot of that SWV stuff.
2: He's an incredible guy. We go from the bridge, or it happens in the pre-chorus as well. You get this very 90s R&B thing. You think you're in one world, and then you get this trap, wind-down, snare thing. Yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah, definitely. And then what world are we in?
4: At that point, we are going back to the trap-inspired R&B. You know what's funny? I was listening to you guys' podcast on Demi Lovato. Sorry, Not Sorry, I'm glad you heard it. One of you mentioned something that really made me laugh, man. You guys said that that fill right there sounded like the whole track was sort of just falling apart. Like (laughs) Which (laughs) I thought that was pretty cool. It's actually a really, it's a good example of, of like, sort of the energy we want to create sort of a surprise moment where you think everything is sort of falling apart and then surprise you know what i mean you get slapped in the face with like this trap 808 that happens right on the one so it's there for that reason it's also there to sort of bring you to cross you from one genre to another within the song without it sort of abruptly happening like at one point you're listening to 90s r and at the very next moment you're listening to like a trap R&B. and so this fill that happens is a transition between those two spaces and you know, once we hit the hook, yeah, we're definitely doing trap R&B at that point.
1: When we were listening to Distraction in the car over here, we were like, it feels like you were just saying like this cool combination of 90s R&B and contemporary trap music. Like, is the 90s a big reference point when you're producing tracks? Like, is that maybe the prime time of of R&B? No, I would definitely not say
4: that. Yeah. It is the prime time of R&B. Okay. I think R&B has not had a proper golden age yet. I think it's had moments where it shined. I think that the 90s influence from that record, picking that influence and picking that vibe had less to do with the fact that we were doing R&B music and more to do with the fact that the artist I was working with at the time was inspired by that. you You know, I'm a record producer and one of our jobs is to be the mirror for the artist. So, you know, that's one thing I always say, being a producer is a service industry. So when an artist walks in and says, I'm really inspired by R&B music from the 90s, you go, all right. <laughs> Which is why one of, one of the biggest things I say as a producer is to know and be, and be informed of the nuances of all those different genres. Because you never know who's going to walk through the door and say, oh man, let's do some 60s era funk. Yeah. Or let's do some 70s era funk. Yeah. There's a difference. <laughs> so it's like... Um, It's good to know those nuances as a producer. When she walked through the door and she said, I'm inspired by 90s R&B, I knew exactly what the sound set was. You know what I mean? I knew exactly what to pick from. And I knew what modern elements to still include so that we're just not making a throwback record.
2: Yeah, This is interesting because I think part of my age and what I was listening to, also the sort of unique sonic characteristics of music that was made in the late 1990s, literally just because of the way that records were produced. There's like a very particular sound that I, I zoom in on. And I think for a long time I had, I had felt that like, you know, a Mariah Carey kind of sound was like, Oh, that's, that's R and B, but it's, it's much broader than that.
4: Mariah. I think when she first came out, I don't necessarily, I mean, she was an R and B artist, but she sort of represented the sort of the more rhythmic, less urban, huh, less urban is the wrong is the wrong way to put that. You know, you had Jodeci and then you had Mariah Carey, you know, and they were out around the same time. You know, Jodeci was R&B, like a distilled form of pure R&B essence. Mariah, she implemented like a lot of pop elements into her music, but very soulful
2: still. So I think what we're establishing here is that R&B is a broad category that en- encompasses a large history of black music and that it as a genre is a moving target. Is that accurate?
4: That's very accurate. It's like at one point R&B was like this star and it expanded and expanded and expanded and, expanded, and now it's sort of this nebula of influence that every genre is pulling from. But there's this new smaller star that's still defining itself right now as a genre. And I don't think we'll see what it will eventually become until maybe two or three years from now. I think in two or three years, we'll know, oh, this is definitively R&B. But right now, you still have these huge variances, like you got your Daniel Caesars, and then you got your Jacquezes. Mm -hmm. And they're new artists in the genre, and they're both R&B artists, and they're both male R&B artists, but they're very, very different, you know what I mean?
2: we got to go into this. What, what are you hearing that is developing, and, it, it is, and is it making its way into your music?
4: It is definitely making its way into the music that I make. There's a record that Her has called Hard Place. It's an amazing song, and it is, it's literally just a live drum break and a guitar and a bass and her voice. Why- The drums are mixed hard, so it's like you're not listening to something that's like just a soft sort of drum, drum break happening through. Like it's still something you could thump, but it's so straightforward and it borrows from a lot of the folkier sort of R&B elements from the past. And this is exactly what I'm talking about. You have your harder drum elements, but then you have this sort of borrowing from throwback. And I think that's what's happening with a lot of R&B right now. Whereas even five, six years ago, the production elements of R&B and the vibes from R&B tended to be more about interesting, quirky, clever sonics. Let's see if we can make this 808 bend up into the keyboard that then bends back down into the 808. Like, and I'm sitting there doing crossfades between instruments and I've done that before. I think today the simplicity of it, and that's what R&B is sort of distilling itself down to as a simpler form, is making its way into the music that I make. The best example is this, I like to eat, right? Sushi, sushi is so simple. It's literally, and I'm talking about sushi. I'm not talking about like, you know, party sushi where, you know, like where it's like, you know, sauces and creams, raw and all this. Stuff. I'm talking about just rice and fish. And that's all it is. And it's very simple. And on its surface, it looks like a very simple thing. But the complexity that goes into these two simple ingredients, the process, do you know how they make sushi rice? It takes, it, it's a lot. It's, it's, it's the same process with picking the fish. All, this complex, all these complex ideas get distilled down to this one ingredient and added to another ingredient. And it looks and feels simple. But you know the difference between a good sushi spot and a bad sushi spot. r is the same way. And, and if it's done right, it sounds simple, but it's profound. And I think that Hard Place record is a good example of that. Focus is another good example of that. There's another her record called Focus, which is literally just kick, snare, and arpeggiated harp. And I think in an 808, and there's a drum fill. There's like a drum roll fill that happens every eight bars, or every 16 bars, and that's it. That's the whole production. And there's not, I don't even think there's any background vocals in that record. It's just her as a lead, which is what a lot of R&B records are doing right now anyway. It's like a lead. Like, if you listen to Distraction, it's, well, that was more like three, four years ago. But if you listen to Distraction, it's like there's a stack on the chorus, and a harmonies everywhere in the hook. Today, I listen to RB records and they're single lead vocals. So yeah, I think what's happening is RB is distilling itself down to figure out what it is at a basic level. Once it establishes itself, gets a foothold, becomes like a mainstream form because RB to me is a brand new form right now. RB as a genre is brand spanking new. Like I said, the old RB genre has diffused into it's not a genre anymore. It's 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 an, people are inspired by it people are influenced by it, but it's not a genre anymore. It's just, it's like jazz is. Jazz is like this diffused form. And even though it still exists as a genre, people do perform jazz records. Now you'll have somebody use a jazz chord progression in a pop song, for instance. So it's an influence now more than it is an actual genre. R&B is that right now. The old school form of R&B is that right now. But this, what we have here today is a brand new form. And it's exciting, man. It excites me a lot. I feel lucky to be alive in
1: a time when a new genre of music is being shaped. Is there a, a recent production of yours that highlights some of those changes you're talking about? Like we're listening to Distraction, we hear those crunchy R&B chords you were talking about, we hear that specific sonic selection of like a DX7 synthesizer, but then you were saying maybe the trap drums that you hear on Distraction would sound different today. Like is there a, yeah, is there a recent record you've done that might show that evolution? So
4: there's actually a record on that same project that showcases the beginning of that evolution for me. It's one of my I have 3 songs that I produced that are my favorite songs that I've ever produced and this is one of them. It's a song called Everything Is Yours.
0: Marie.
4: It is very simple. I'm not even playing a full chord progression. I'm literally playing the root note and the fifth through the whole record. The power Basically, but you still you're still getting the the gist of the chord.
0: My ring is yours. It
4: for me. So there's that sound. There's an eight oh eight there's a kick there's a snare and there are trap drums in there but they're they're pitched all the way down like they don't sound like trap drums and it feels something that's a little more akin to something I would have done today from a production standpoint because at the time I remember thinking how do we do this without doing trap like how do we do this and make it feel forward sort of forward leaning and this is a, this is an arrogant statement and I know a lot of producers are going to think I'm like feeling myself by saying this but I feel like that production is something that today would still feel very forward-leaning. This is a track that we did like three years ago. So I, and I'm proud of that fact. Listen, that doesn't happen to me very often. So I'm very proud of that fact. That production is very simple. It's a lead-driven song, which, you know, at the time you had that, but not not that often. And then my 808 is like rolling around in the hook, which at that time wasn't really a thing. Like you had pitched 808s, but they weren't really, there wasn't like a portamento 808 thing sort of happening in R&B music, especially. You might've had it in like like EDM trap, right. but you didn't have it in R&B really. I'm, I'm using the 808 more like a, like a portamento, like a low end portamento instrument.
1: Portamento being? Oh, I'm sorry, legato is really what I mean. Like yeah.
4: pshh, woo, woo. In other words, my portamento is pulled all the way up. <laughs> Yeah,
2: almost acting as like an upright base being bowed and just sort of sliding around.
4: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's what it feels like. Yeah.
1: Portamento is Italian for sliding around. Yeah.
4: And so this 808
1: is. I just, I just made that up. Actually, I don't oh, know if that's Oh, did you really? I don't know if that's true. Jeez.
4: That sounds right. You know what? I'm going to tell people that and act like I know what I'm talking about. Portamento actually means sliding around.
2: <laughs> We're innovating on language right here. So, Beautiful. Yeah. One of the albums that really, I think, caused this tizzy of mine was the New Chance record. He does this song uh, with John Legend as the opening piece. Chance is one of these artists where he's a rapper, he's doing R&B, he's doing gospel, he's doing soul. He's kind of like all over the place. How can we conceptualize this record? I
4: mean, I'm I'm inspired by Chance, man. I really am. He's a guy that's not afraid to take genres and really mix them. He's got this record problems that, you know, it's like he just takes gospel and, and trap and throws them together. Chance is a master at that. And I think he's good at subverting expectations too, which is what I imagine he did on the,
2: or what intended to do and succeeded in doing on the John Legend track. So perhaps we should think about this more in your first categorization of R&B, which is part of like the larger history rather than this emerging genre that that you're you're targeting. Well,
4: here's the thing. Chance to me is not an R&B artist. Chance is a hip hop artist. And there's a difference. I think that Chance, like a lot of hip hop, is being influenced by this, larger influence R&B, sort of the nebula cloud of R&B. But if you asked him if he was an R&B artist, he probably would say he doesn't define himself as any specific genre. But to me, Chance is a hip hop artist and he's that. And the good thing about hip hop now is that it is so diverse and there are so many options and so many things to grab and hold and things to do. So I love that about Chance, but I wouldn't necessarily consider him an R&B artist per se. Like to me, that genre is more for people like Kehlani or SZA or Summer Walker or Khalid. Like those artists to me are R&B artists. It's a little different.
1: One of the things that strikes me about talking with you is that I wonder if there's a difference between being a, a producer today and perhaps then special, you're like, I, this is what I do. I specialize in this one thing, this one, this R&B sound, and I've like mastered this. And, but talking with you today, it's like, whoa, as a producer today, you need to not only have this encyclopedic knowledge of music history where an artist can come in and say, I want to do 70s funk, not 60s funk, and right. you're like, okay, I got that. Right. And you have to be at the same time aware of everything that's happening in 2019 with music so you can like do all this genre mashing. That seems like you have to do a lot of homework, I imagine, to stay on top of all this.
4: To be honest with you, I don't necessarily consider it homework. Okay. It's, it's one of the reasons why I became a record producer is because I just love listening to music. I, love, I listen to all of it. I listened to a lot of music growing up. I listen to a lot of music now. Uh, I go home and I listen to music. It makes my wife sick. It's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I listen to music quite a bit. So this is gonna sound arrogant, but I think I have a gift for identifying influences and genres Mm -hmm. i think i can hear a production and say oh yeah they got that from blah 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 blah." oh i know where they got that from Uh, okay that piece feels like it came from such oh yeah that's that's a billy holiday reference you know what i mean like i pay attention to all those different pieces and so when new music comes out i'm constantly listening to see two things how those genres from the past sort of coalesced into that progression, into that, that song, that production. But seeing the direction of that also gives me a way to predict where it's going to go in the future. You know what I mean? It's like watching the road behind you and sort of guessing which way it's going. You know what I mean? I think that helps you as a producer. One question I get asked a lot in interviews is what, what, Uh, how do they say it? What advice would you give producers coming up? Right? I get that question a lot. And the answer to that question is always, know your history. Know the history of your music. Know all the references. You know Know what the difference is between a Brian May guitar tone. Hey. Or uh, now Roger's guitar tone. know what guitars they played
2: this has been absolutely fabulous thank you for joining us really appreciate it
4: thank you man i really appreciate
2: it okay so here's what i'm thinking i'm right to be confused by chance's record yes not only has r&b always been a moving target Mm. but according to oak it's an essential influence to much of today's pop music Mm. and as a genre it's still changing maybe Chance's record doesn't fit into the new subgenre. Yeah. But it seems to be influenced no undoubtedly by the larger category.
1: Right. I mean this is like something that came up when we discussed Lizzo's recent album yes. as well. It's like where do you slot some of contemporary music? I mean certainly with a track like Hot Shower. Yeah. that maybe like we said belongs in hip hop. Yeah. But then there are other tracks on this Chance album that it's like, where would these go? You use this phrase with Lizzo, like the end of genre. Yeah. And if we accept that we might be getting to that point, the Billboard charts and our conceptions of like, what is pop versus hip hop versus R&B will get increasingly porous, right?
2: Certainly. What we've seen is that all of these things are moving and trying to catch up with each other, right? Listener behavior is changing. What audiences enjoy is also changing, right? The music is changing and billboard and industry groups have to keep up and try to figure out what do we call this thing so that we can figure out how to market it and highlight it. Yeah. And so everything is constantly in this this flux and this terminology ends up feeling a lot looser Right,
1: and yet at the same time, I like what what I love about talking to Oak is how you get the sense that he is a master of genre, yeah, of, of or what we might call like historical genre yes. or something, right? And he uses that almost assassin-like ability to like <laughs> instantly capture and communicate a sense of genre, yeah. in order to completely mess with your sense of genre, <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah, it's I don't know. This has been very illuminating
2: i'm not sure that i'm any further along (laughs) understanding uh any particular given sound because i don't have oak's encyclopedic knowledge of play me a r&b thing from 1963 yeah but i do feel validated in my confusion and feel excited to listen
1: yeah embrace the confusion
2: This episode of Switched On Pop was produced by Bridget Armstrong and me, Charlie Harding. Megan Lubin is our production fellow. Brandon McFarlane mixes, edits, and masters the show. Sarah Terry is our community manager. Nishat Kurwa and Liz Nelson are our executive producers. We're a production of the Vox Media Podcast Network.
1: You can find more episodes at switchedonpop.com or anywhere you get podcasts.
2: Apple Podcast App, Spotify, Radio Public, iHeartRadio.
1: We're on there.
2: I also want to shout out Chris Malanfi's article. If you want to go deeper into the world of the history of R&B on the Billboard charts, you'll want to read his piece, I know you got soul. The trouble with Billboard's R&B hip hop chart. I'll post it in our show notes.
1: Chris is the chart whisperer.
2: Oh, no doubt. Hit us up on social media at Switched We love getting your recommendations. We are on Twitter, on Instagram, at Switched On Pop. We'll be back again in another week. And until then, thanks, thanks for, for listening.
1: listening.